All right, man, we're only down to four pages tonight. Hey, we started with 11 pages. That means next week we can get it down to four. All right, family business. So we're, we're dealing with our methods now. We're dealing with our methods. We went big, big, big concept, cosmos, eternal purpose of God stuff, bringing it all the way down to local church stuff, bringing it all the way down to how do we express our values, how do we express our priorities, we express that through there's methods, there's got to be, you know, strategy, how do we do that? So intentional, say intentional. I really think that is a big word. It's a massive word right now. I use that a lot even with other pastors and things. Is that whatever you're doing, you got to be intentional. You got to be very, very intentional every everything that you're doing. So we have intentional systems and strategies. Intentional. So a little recap of last week. We had benefits for safety, support, stretching, sharpening, and satisfaction. So those are benefits. Benefits. You're going to feel safe, so you can risk. You're going to feel supported, so you can you know do things and and supported in your dreams, your beliefs. You're in a place where you're celebrated. You're in a place where you're going to stretch. You're, you're going to be exposed to things. You're, we're in a place where we want to be challenged. We're in a place where we want questions. Questions are okay. You know, I don't, I don't mind questions. And, and, and you know, some people don't question, you know, but questions are good. And, and we're all for questions. I mean, Jesus answered questions with more questions. But stretching, it's good to be stretched. It's good to expose yourself to, to things and be willing to, to ponder and press and reflect on what it is you believe and why. And you need to have a good handle on that. And it's a good place to get sharpened. Sharpened, and it says, "I as iron sharpens iron." I meant to be upstairs to get that knife sharpening thing. Is grind, and it really is. I mean, it uses as iron sharpens iron. So it gives you it gives you what it's like. It gives you an example of it's kind of like iron against iron. And when you think of that, and you think about what that sounds like, what that looks like. It says, "As iron sharpens iron, so someone sharpens the countenance of another person." So the the countenance of how you look, how you look at things, and how you look at the future. That word is three things. So you come into a place where where you're going to get sharpened. How many like being sharpened? I mean, like it when, when you'll get challenged and you'll, you know, be sharp. And if you, if you look messy and look ugly, somebody goes, what was wrong with you? And it's going to help you get things straightened out. And then there's satisfaction. And then the opportunities that you have is you get to be the one who provides safety, provides support, provides stretching, and provides sharpening, and provides satisfaction. So that was easy to turn the other page. So real community or fellowship is hanging out with a spiritual purpose. Saying fellowship is important for spiritual growth is like saying oxygen is important for breathing. So fellowship is a big deal. Community is a big deal. And as Spurgeon said, community or, or uh, the fact that we connect together the social element of the Christian faith is the genius of the whole thing. So koinonia, that's the Greek word for fellowship. It's fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, intercourse, the share which one has in anything to give a gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution as exhibited in the embodiment or proof of fellowship. So it's more than just hanging out. It's a, it's a deep connection uh, where we get involved on purpose, you know, in the purposes of God. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16, Ephesians 12 and 13, God gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for works of service or works of ministry. Then, say then. 
See, then when you, when you align yourself with God, you align yourself with ministry, you align yourself with ascension gifting and set yourself and establish yourself in the body of Christ in community, in genuine relationship, it says then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. See, it says every wind of doctrine. The word doctrine comes from the Greek word dogma. So it's not, it's not that it's falsehood that blows you around. It's dogma. People get extreme in truth. Say, oh, I got a new teaching. Whoop, I'm over here now. Whoop, whoo, I found another new teaching. Woo! Says a man of wisdom avoids all extremes. When something new comes, they hang on to the other. And you don't get blown around. When you're established, you're fixed, and you're in relationship in the body of Christ, you're not going to get tossed around by every wind of doctrine. Something new. And it's not something necessarily something evil. It's just some people are trendy Christians. And what's the new trend in Christianity? Anybody know any of those, you know, kind of flaky Christians? They're always running hither, thither, whatever's popping out. They're always in the cutting edge of what God's doing in the Christian world. Woo! Now, some of the old traditions are really good, like love one another. That's still a really good truth. Okay, that was good. <laughs> then you won't get tossed around. You'll be established, planted, going down. It says we will not be influenced when people try to trick us or lie. So clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. How does he do it? He does it as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Love. And that happens as each part does its work. The joint supplies. It's the joint. The supply happens where there is the joining. The joining is what gives the power to what's happening. Acts chapter 2 talks about the early church, some of the values they had right away. They devoted themselves to communion, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. They devoted themselves to things. And that word devoted is a strong word. It's continued steadfastly. You're devoted. It's proskaterio. And it is to be devoted or con constant to one, to give unremitting care to a thing, to persevere and not to faint, to show oneself courageous for something. So, I mean, you're really, it's, I mean, you're really devoted. I mean, you're giving yourself courageously to a situation. And it says when they devoted themselves to those principles, devoted themselves to those things, it says that everybody around them, a deep sense of awe came over them all. So Impact Church manifests a community that causes awe. 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 That's what we want. We want people, when we, when we gather, they used to observe the gatherings of the body of Christ. They used to observe when they got together, when they had their love feasts. And a sense of awe came out of watching their gatherings and seeing what took place in community. So our methods, our methods. So capacity to run a family with six kids, we have to have a different mindset. Does anybody have six kids? Anybody grow up in a family with six kids? Yes. How, how many kids in the family, Ben? Eleven. So, like, going through the McDonald's drive-thru was different. Did we go through the McDonald's drive-thru? Not usually, eh? Like, that would, you'd have to have, like, a bus. Like, I mean, that is, that's, a, that's an NFL football team. Like, I mean, you've got, you got a whole baseball team with a couple backup pitchers. 
I mean, that's a big group of people. Now, now, if you got that many people in your family, how you guys do life is going to be different, right? I mean, how you live. I mean, uh, like, did you ever have your own bedroom? No. How many people had your own bedroom growing up? These folks never experienced that. See, dynamics, things change. And when, when things get larger, capacity changes, things have to shift. And you know, your methods, I'm sure your mom and dad, their method of doing life, it, it was just always constantly in flux. Then they'd add another, add another, add another. And my goodness, I mean, thank God it was back in the days when they weren't that crazy about car seats, right? <laughs> How many kids can we pack in this van? You know, everything shifts when you, you do that. I mean, my world changed. I get, I get it. Uh, my daughter was over with uh, Josephine the other day, and that's a shift. And I mean, now we got two grandkids, and we're thinking about Josephine. And then where's Frankie? We don't know. She's somewhere. And, and everything shifts. And then I just got hooked on Peppa the Pig, and now Frankie's moved on to Paw Patrol. You know, so I mean, everything changes. And so, like, I used to be able to watch golf on Saturday afternoons. Now I got to watch cartoons just, just to settle Frankie down because she's like nonstop. I mean, I, I thank God for Paw Patrol. I'll watch it if I can just have a few minutes of drag me here, pull me there, go there. Everything changes. I mean, stuff goes on. And I was like, my God, this child, oh my goodness, so good. Now I really know what it's like to say it's so great when they come and it's so awesome. We had Frankie wanted to stay overnight, so uh, we, she didn't have any, you know, pajamas, didn't have any, didn't have her snuggly thing, didn't have her, she goes to bed with a Susie, don't tell anybody, but so we had to go to the drugstore, buy a bunch of stuff, and then we get her all ready to go, get her all settled down, then she's in bed, she's almost asleep, and then she turns to Mimi and says, Mimi, I think I want to sleep in my own bed. This is like 11 o'clock at night, so then we got to travel all the way to St. Thomas, you're like, oh my God, well, Cheryl did, I didn't, of course, I <laughs> You don't need two people to do that, Trev. You know what I mean? But I mean, th when things change, your family changes, capacity shifts. I mean, things shift when those things go on. So as your organization grows, your mindset, mindset, your mindset, I said mindset, your mindset has to change. Your mindset should change right now. Your mindset has to change. If the number of volunteers grows, we've got to change. At times, the organization starts to, to settle or struggle. I always assume my leadership capacity has to expand. So I've got to grow. You've constantly got to grow. So uh, like I said, I'm watching Paw Patrol, and I have moved on from Peppa Pig. Things, things happen. So listen to this now. Hope is not a strategy for growing the church. How many think the church should grow? I'll give you a scripture. Ready? Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel unto every creature, disciple the nations. I mean, we're, we're called to, it says God wants his glory to fill all the earth. Jesus is building his church. This is all, this is all growth stuff. This, anything that's healthy is still growing. Growth is a big deal, but hope is not a strategy for growing the church. Man, I just hope some more people come on Sunday, don't you? Come on, let's all hope together. Hoping, 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 hoping. Oh, God, I hope you do something. Oh, I'm hoping. Hoping is not a strategy for church growth. Hoping is not a strategy. I hope I fulfill God's purpose with my life. I hope, you know, I fulfill everything God's called me to do. I just hope I'm pleasing to the Lord. I, hoping isn't a strategy. <laughs> 
You know, God's given you revelation. He's given you understanding. He's given you everything you need. He's given you all his divine ability and strength to do everything he's called you to do. Tony Morgan, the Unstuck Group. That's the group he runs. It's his company called the Unstuck Group. He said, one of the main reasons I believe churches are stuck is because of their systems and strategies are broken. Churches continue to use the same systems but hope to, and pray for different results. The only way to get different results is to engage different systems. But, unfortunately, many churches and denominations would rather stay stuck and eventually die rather than make the changes that may, might make people, including leaders, feel uncomfortable. How are you? W. Rowe, he wrote a book called One Lord, One Faith, wrote it about 70 years ago, but it was actually, the, he took the tenets of our faith and laid them out, and a great book about the doctrine of the apostolic church, and some of it could be tweaked a bit for cultural relevance and things like that, good truth in it, but he talked about church government, and he said, organization is the instinctive or conscious action and intelligent systematic method by which an organism can apply its skill and energy in the most effective way at the point and for the purpose required. What a great sentence. Eh? Organization is the instinctive or conscious action, the intelligent systematic method by which an organism can apply its skill and energy in the most effective way at the point and for the purpose required. What a great sentence. I just love that sentence. So good. Now, Every type of manifestation of life reveals its nature and characteristics by its organization or lack of it. Therefore, if you go somewhere and you see something and it looks like chaos, you would say, who put that together? What a mess. I remember once I had some leftover wood and I decided to build a stand for a barbecue. But you know what? It held the barbecue. It wasn't pretty. It was some lumber knocked together, kind of jiggly, but you know what? You could put the barbecue on it. I thought it was pretty awesome. But it really showed, it manifests that I'm not skilled at that kind of stuff at all, but it still did function, but it wasn't pretty. Okay, just thought I'd share that with you. It reveals the characteristics by the organization or lack of it. Anything you build, that's what you should do everything with excellence. I mean, because what you do is a manifestation. You're putting your own signature on what you do. That's why excellence, intentional excellence, is a value for us. The church of Jesus Christ is his body, and therefore it requires a divine organization which is appropriate to its need. So it's a living organism, an organization, and the organization of the organism, the, the way it manifests itself, its strategies, reveals characteristics about it. Now, who's building the church? Thank you. Jesus, everybody else agree? Who's building the church? Jesus. So he's building. He's the one who's putting this together. Therefore, should it not be the most incredible organization, the, the most divine manifestation of a strategic purpose that the world has ever seen? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't when you walk into church and you see the flow, you see the structure, you see how everybody moves together, you should go, wow. You, should, you, you shouldn't have to go to, you know, uh, Peter Drucker, who I'll quote anyways, you know, but you shouldn't have to go to all these other, you know, strategic, structural gurus. You should be able to walk into a church and just be wowed. That's why Spurgeon said the genius of Christianity is community. It's the way we spend time together. That's why they were in awe with the early church, because they were in awe at just the way they did community. 
And so church should be a place where there's clear strategy. It's not messed up. There's not strife and division and arguments, but there's a group of people all equipped, all actualized, all understanding who they are, what they're called to do, moving in that with incredible precision where you just go, all you can say about that is, wow. I went to church today and you know what? Wow. Few people sleeping in the back, couple snoring, couple of heads dropping. Amazing stuff. No, it's an intentional community of people who can't wait to gather, come on purpose, full of joy. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord, because we know why we're gathering. We know what we're doing. We know why God's placed us together, and we know what he's called me to do individually in it. Okay, sorry, I got carried away there. Peter Drucker did say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. What does that mean? Oh, let me read this quote. Ryan reaches. He said, it's important to remember that values do not drive the business. They drive, I left the Y out, they drive the people within it. Values must be internalized by the people in the organization if it's to have meaning. So we've talked about all our values. And you see, those values have to be internalized. You know, our intentional, on purpose, authentic love. We talked about all those things. We talk about our, our values. We talk about our, our seven verbs which support everything we do. Those values, every one of us have to own those. And we understand that. And in our relationships, in our reactions, in the way we do things, those values are so internalized that that's what manifests. Now, I was in a church recently, and I was doing communion in the church. And while I was doing communion, right there, just, you know, sharing about communion, a guy walks down the middle aisle, walks up to the pastor, goes, hey, pastor, I got some watermelon, and uh, I'm going to cut it up at the back after service. All right. And this is while I'm doing communion. I'm like watching this go on. He goes to the back, pulls a table right there. It's in the sanctuary. Everybody can hear it. He's pulling a table while we're doing communion and starts cutting watermelon. And you get after people are like this. And like, There's a massive disconnect right there. There's somebody who's thinking that like having watermelon and everybody having a snack later is wonderful. But to be doing it and wandering around in the middle of the communion service and not understand the value of that moment that we're having together, there's a massive disconnect with the whole thing we're doing. You know, when you don't have that internal value and you don't have those values of others and, and connection and, and all these things and love and mutual esteem and these things aren't a part of the fabric of who you are, you can get doing all kinds of nonsense and therefore the community, rather than being in awe with the community, you could have somebody just visiting who thinks communion is a real intimate moment to commune with God and really believe and expect something powerful at that moment and then somebody starts pulling a table and cutting watermelon. Anyways, there's sometimes people come, and I call people like that, they're on the single rider plan. I'm not in community. I'm here for me, just doing my thing. And, and I don't really understand what we're doing corporately. I'm just hanging out at my own pleasure. But when you don't understand the values, you don't understand the culture, you don't understand the vision, and those things are not internalized, you can be doing stuff that just knocks things totally out of vibe. Got it? Okay, it's good. I, I was going to give you some more examples. But it's a bit weird, you know? It'd be like, it'd be like you know, you're, we're all here, we're listening, and then you get somebody well, getting up walking. Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you for a while. What's going on? You know, I was like, 
one person does that, it's a bit odd. But if we all started doing it, it'd be just crazy. Some people wander out. I'm going to go sit in the foyer for a while. What are you doing here? I don't know. There's a sign. There's a symbol. There's a manifestation that I, I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand what's going on. I, I, I'm disconnected. And it manifests to guests and other people that uh, this place is kind of weird. Hey. Just stuff like that, you know. Right, and that's the whole thing. Culture eats strategy for breakfast because you can develop the most amazing strategy ever, but if you have that kind of a culture, like those could all be people who agree that we're here to reach this community and you got some strong you know, uh, beliefs and values and strategic tools to reach that community, but, but your culture is not one of mutual esteem and care and love and, and then the whole thing goes sideways because you've messed up what the culture is. So values must be internalized by the people if the organization is to have meaning. Because your organization and what you're doing there, that manifests the characteristics, that manifests the awe and, and uh, how incredible the structure is. So organizational alignment is the glue for achieving better performance. The organizational alignment is the glue for achieving better performance. Organizational alignment is the glue for achieving better performance. So if we want to function together really well, the more aligned we are, the better it is. Like there's so many examples of, of doing that. If you can, it's like, how many like watching NASCAR on those big super speedways? If those guys line up together, they can all get around the track faster. Well, eventually somebody gets selfish and says, I want to be the first car. So they pull out a line. And when you watch the car that pulls out a line, if nobody pulls out with them, that car just goes right to the back. Alignment leads to everybody performing better. But of course, everybody's got to come out of line because only one person can win and get the big paycheck, right? But if they're all unselfish, you know, they just say, let's stay in line. Like, like uh, what's that other, uh, the races in Europe? What do they call that? Uh, what do they call that in Europe? Le Mans and uh, what are they, Formula One. I can't watch Formula One because basically they do the time trials that's set up and it's like single file the rest of the way. It's just so boring. But, you know, you watch NASCAR because there's crashes and there's selfish people. They run into each other. It's so much more fun to watch chaos than it is you know, people in lines. Anyways, but we don't want that here. We want straight lines. We want maximum performance. We want alignment. Amen. Went to church to watch a fight. Amen. <laughs> Went to church today and nobody fought. It was so boring, you know. So, but you got here, you got mission values, you got strategy and culture. So culture, values, practices, behaviors, but then you need a strategy, you need goals, objectives, and activities. So the driving path, your values, but the guiding path are, we need strategies that are working together. All right. So I call this poetry and plumbing. Say poetry. poetry. Plumbing. Poetry in church is, is the preaching, the music, the, the worship, the prayer, the, all those other things, which are all fantastic stuff. And the, the way that we do community, we do small groups, and you just come, wasn't that nice? Ooh, that was good, and all that stuff. But then somebody just dropped a bomb in the bathroom, and uh, 
you know, you went by there and the place smells. We were just having a wonderful time. And then what is that smell, you know? So you can have the most amazing poetry in the world, but if the plumbing's no good, it, you're just going to have trouble. Like, because you're only going to put up with that beautiful worship and all that stuff until the smell is just so intolerable. I can't do it anymore. Is somebody going to deal with that? Where's Ray when you need him? You know, who's going to deal with that? There's some plumbing out of order. All right, Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7, they had a plumbing situation. All right, so things were going good. People were getting healed. The church is moving. People are being added. The church is multiplying. Things are going great. Now, in those days, listen, now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, now, this is in the days of aggressive church growth, in the days of where, whoa, this is so awesome. Everybody's being touched. I mean, ministry is amazing. Church is growing exponentially. This is so fantastic. In those days, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, the, the, the Jewish people and the Greek people. She had some Jewish believers and some Hellenists. And it says, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, they, they had developed principles and values that... You know, the widow should be taken care of and they <clears throat> develop process of functioning and moving together. But I don't know why. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe the Jewish people knew all the Jewish widows and they didn't know the Greek widows. I don't know. But what happened was they were clearly being neglected and there arose a complaint. Say complaint. If you look at the Greek word for complaint, it was like no small deal. I mean, people were really ticked off. Now, I mean, the Spirit of God, the power. I mean, we got the apostles right here. I mean, glory to Jesus. And we got people grumbling and complaining. Can you believe it? The early church, full of power, full of glory, full of complaint. Grievous complaint and struggle. There was strife everywhere. So they called down the fire of God on the complainers and kicked them all out of the church. Hallelujah. Okay, so what they did was, here's what the apostles did. Hey, guys, we got a problem. There's something going on. And here was one of the problems is that the apostles decided that we don't only do the prayer, the ministry, the teaching, and the discipling, and the mentoring, and all that stuff, but we're taking care of every detail of the ministry as well. And so they listened to the complaint, though, and they said, look, this isn't right. So they said, whom may me appoint over this business? And they said, you know, we got to get some people. This is clearly a problem. So right away, the leadership said this, we acknowledge there's trouble. We acknowledge that we have a problem and something is grievously wrong in the fellowship. So that's a good thing, right? If there's something wrong, leadership should just say, hey, there's a problem. Amen? I will never do that, though, because I'll never, ever admit I'm wrong. I was wrong once. When was that? You know what I love about these guys is right away. I mean, acceleration of the church, all kinds of things, healings, all kinds of things going on. And they were like, hey, don't talk to us like that. No, they right away acknowledged, hey, we got trouble. We need to deal with this. They sought the Lord right away, and they decided to appoint. Uh, there was seven Greek guys. They pulled out Greek guys full of the Holy Spirit and said, folks, choose from among yourselves seven, seven guys who can help us deal with this because it's not right for us to, clearly we aren't doing good enough because we're trying to spin all the plates. Somebody else needs to take care of some of these things. We've, people are being neglected. We need to change our structure. So they realized that our strategy right now is not working. So something has shifted. We now got not four kids in the van. We got 11. And we are constantly leaving Ben behind at McDonald's when we're leaving because we thought they were all in the van. Where's Ben? So we realized we got to stop doing that. So we're going to have to make a new system. We're going to have to count the kids before we leave McDonald's. 
So, you know, you got to realize, you got to acknowledge we got an issue. So it says, then when they made that decision and they decided to deal with the problem, it says, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So they went from multiplication to multiplying greatly. Why? Because they dealt with a strategic issue. They dealt with a problem that was, we have a plumbing problem. Our poetry is beautiful. Don't worry about it. Don't listen to them. Let's just keep the poetry. No, we got a real problem. And when they addressed the problem, they dealt with that, and they developed a system that was equal to this new situation they found themselves in. When they did that, it says that they multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And now listen to this. Very distinct, all right? They multiplied greatly and, and a great many priests were obedient to the faith. So what, pastor? I think the priests were guys who, they were doing leadership in the Jewish world and and they were responsible for doing that. And when the priests watched the wisdom of leadership, saw the humility to admit there's a problem, and when they saw that the way they were willing to make a strategic change to make sure things were addressed, and they were willing to share responsibility and share leadership, when the priests saw the wisdom of that and they understood and saw the leadership skill, they said, wow, that was a godly way to deal with something. That was wisdom, that's good. I believe in Jesus. I'll submit that to you, but I think that's probably why that was put in there. Because they separately defined, at this point, many priests decided to come and jump on board. Okay, turn the page, let's go to page three. Rick Joyner, I read this a couple weeks back, but again, here was a discussion about the Welsh Revival. Rick Joyner, how many have read that book, The World of Flame by Rick Joyner? Two of us, okay. Good book, all about the Welsh Revival. Rick did a lot of research for that, but here's what Rick said. He said, however, it was their strength in being so open to the Holy Spirit that was the enemy, that it was that that the enemy used to push them too far so that they actually prohibited the organization that was needed. See, in the early church, when they saw there was a problem and we need structure and we need to change our strategy to deal with new circumstances, they decided to deal with it. When there was strategy and and we needed structure, in the Welsh Revival, they said, skip the structure, let's just roll with the Holy Ghost. And that was the very thing. Rick Joyner's conclusion and others who've observed the revival said that because they refused to put a wineskin on the wine, the wine was poured out in the street and it eventually dissipated. So to help preserve, if they needed organization to help preserve the great advances that were made, and because of this, just a couple of years after the revival, evidence of it was scarce, and the whole nation quickly drifted back to its former depravity. How many remember what was going on in your life three years ago? How many, can you remember three years ago? Anybody? How many cannot? I'll pray for you right now. But think about it. For three years, that was how long the Welsh revival went on. It was bam, woo, and then boom. And then three years later, you could have gone, oh, finally, I've got here. Where's the revival? Gone. And you know, it's because they refused to put structure. They refused to embrace some systematic things that were important to bring about the uh, the preservation of what God had been doing. All right, so Moses had to develop a plumbing system. You remember Moses? Moses, Exodus 18, 17 to 18, says, so Moses' father-in-law, he came, he's hanging out with him, doing a little visit, and he's watching Moses, and Moses would go sit on a chair all day long, and thousands of people would line up in front of him. 
and they would come one at a time and all bring their problems. So you've got somewhere a million people or so out in the hot sun, and every time somebody, he kicked my dog, did not, yes, you did, oh, going to Moses, you know, and then all these people in line talking about, you know, Moses, you know, he accidentally ran over my cat. Oh, I'm going to go talk to Moses. So you got Moses dealing with all these. So Jethro, his father-in-law, comes over, and he's watching this, going, this is madness. <laughs> All day, every day, you sit there and decide between this nonsense. He said, man, you're going to wear out these people and you're going to wear out yourself. And this is a bad system. This is a bad structure for a new group of people that are moving towards something. This system is going to kill everybody. So he said, you got to change that. He said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Both you and these people will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you, and you're not able to perform it on your own. So they had the right away. He began to share, and he went and talked to God about it. And God said, break it down into thousands, hundreds, tens. He said, break it down. Break it down and let the people interact and, and release leaders all over the place. That's why we have small groups so we can have leaders over 10 and you know you have congregations and bigger groups of people and all these things and it's great they say that intimacy is lost around eight so if you got more than eight people in a room intimacy is already challenged a little bit and somebody's going to hide and sit back that's why small groups are great places to get stretched and encounter things and be able to do things that you can't do here because some of you already shut me off you're already on it because you're just watching and you're not able to interact and ask questions. Anybody have a question right now at this point? Anybody want to know if Ben was left behind at McDonald's? Was he left behind or did you just make that up? How many, you want to know, Ben, how many times were you left behind at McDonald's? He doesn't remember. The Lord healed those scars in his life and those memories have been healed. Is that right, Ben? Praise Jesus. Everybody give it up. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ben, it's been, all he can remember is good Everything was good. God's worked all things together for good. It's like Joseph. God has caused me to forget, and he's caused me to be fruitful. And okay, that was good. Praise the Lord. It's awesome. Proverbs 14, 4. I didn't read it right there. Look, it says, when, when, without oxen, the stable stays clean. Amen. What a nice barn you have. Looks beautiful in here. Smells great. Where's all your oxen? Well, I don't have any. Oh, no wonder you got a clean barn. So you know what? If you're going to put oxen in the barn, along with oxen comes some... So that's what happens. So that's what happens when you got a bunch of people. You're going to have stuff you got to deal with. But look what it says. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. So we got to have the oxen. So that means we're going to have to deal with stuff. We're going to have structures and systems. And to have community, we got to do things well and do that stuff. Right? Right? Right. So we got to have systems. How many say we got to have systems? Have I convinced anyone that structure is important? That we got to have strategic, you know, specific, clear methods for doing what we do. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Acts chapter 15, 36, then 16, 5. It says, then some days Paul and Barnabas said, let us now go back. They said, let us now go back and visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word of God to see how they are doing. Let us go back. Let us visit every place where we've preached the word of the Lord, and we want to see how they're doing. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. Let's see how they are doing. It's important to evaluate. Let's see what's going on. Let's check and see what's happening. Let's see. And in Titus was sent to Crete because he said, we were in Crete. It was a great revival, but we didn't have time to set things in order. And then when he said set things in order, the next phrase was appoint elders and leaders in every town. 
So what was left out of order was we didn't have time to set up a proper leadership structure. We didn't have time to establish elders. Now, Timothy, go back and set in order what is lacking and what's missing. So leadership structures, these kind of things are very, very important for any organization to manifest the divine wisdom and nature of God. Thank you, Pastor. So our services, our services are evaluated every single week. In fact, they were evaluated today in our staff meeting, and it got a little intense in there. Every week, they evaluate my preaching. Every week. There are some weeks we hand out sheets to people. Four or five people get a sheet, and they get to say, would you bring a friend to hear that sermon? What was the main thought in that sermon? Was that okay? And then I get to see what people think of my preaching. It's not that awesome, because sometimes... People don't think it was that awesome. And sometimes people say, I, I don't think I'd bring a friend to see that. Wowzers. Have you ever been here where I've preached and you've thought, I'm glad my friend's not here today? All eyes closed, heads bowed. I see that hand. <laughs> and that's okay, though. You know what? I need to be evaluated. Today, it, was, it got a little, some intense fellowship today. We had some iron sharpening iron and stuff. And things going on. But you know what? That's good, right? Once in a while. <laughs> wasn't really. It was, it was other stuff. It wasn't my preaching that was the problem. Although we had a discussion about Cheryl tapping the clock. And uh, I said I probably shouldn't interact with you like that on the front line. It kind of wrecks the flow of the service and probably draws negative attention to you. So she said, you do it one more time, you'll see time fly. I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, yeah. So uh, the rest of the staff just slinked away. No, they didn't. They stayed, they stayed right there looking down at their desk. <laughs> just <laughs> but, but, you know, I think everything should be evaluated. I really do. Everything we do. We evaluate the worship service. We evaluate how did kids' church do. The kids' church people, they score how kids' church did each week. We talk about it. We get feedback. Our, our deacons fill out a book, tell us were there any problems, anything they need, or what can we do for them. And, and we want to, if you don't measure things, you don't know what you're doing. If you don't measure something, you really don't care. And so we just want to do, because if you're going to have a value of excellence, you, you got to decide what is excellent. Again, I visited another church, and when you walk in the front door, they get a staircase this way and a staircase this way. And if you were a visitor there, you'd never been there before, there's nobody at the door, and there's nobody at the top of those staircases. So if you were a visitor, and I stood there for a long time, if I was a visitor, I wouldn't know which staircase to take. And I wouldn't know. I was left to my own decisions to go, where is the sanctuary? I had no idea. There's no signage, no anything, nobody. I eventually was holding the door for people, letting them in, and I was trying. It's, I, it's up the stairs. I was like, man. I mean, if you were going to come to my house and I had invited you, I honestly would be at the front door looking out the curtains going, they're here, they're here, Cheryl, they're here. I'd go out, I'd open the door, say, hey, welcome. I'm so honored to have you in my home. Most of you who have been to my home know that it happens sometimes. And <laughs> but you know, here we are, you're, you're asking, you're putting on the sign, all is welcome, and you're, you're putting out, we're a church, we love people, and then they walk in the door and nobody even says Hi. You know, we got to do those things well. So we, we call people who visited. We ask them, how was your experience? What's going on? And we care about all those things. And we want to do it right. Is that okay? 
What's that got to do with the eternal purposes of God, Pastor? Because if we're doing it for God, we should do it really well. Because how uh, the organism manifests itself manifests the characteristics of the one who is building it. And he's building well, and he's building with excellence. Whatever we do, whatever you do in service to the Lord, do it with all your heart, do it with all your might. I mean, do it with excellence and do it to glorify him. Amen? I don't, what's this three out of four Sunday stuff? What do you guys got? Something else going on? Is Sunday the fourth Sunday busy? Or what are you doing? You know, you should do your attendance with excellence. Just saying. Just kidding. Relax now. I mean, my goodness, you know, getting a little religious in here. Not really. Okay. You know. Okay. Uh, Andy Stanley said, your system is perfectly designed to produce the result you are getting. Your system is perfectly designed to produce the result you're getting. Andy Stanley is Charles Stanley's son, big church in Atlanta. He's got a large church in Atlanta too, but Andy Stanley's serious about systems. And he says, the system is perfectly designed to produce the result you're getting. Whether you have systems or not, you're using a system. And your system is to not have a system. I go talk to pastors who are stuck. They've been sitting with the same 50 people for 20 years. And you know what we're going to do now, Pastor? I've called everybody together for the first week of the year, and we're going to fast and pray for the first week. We're not even going to sleep. We're going to come and spend all-nighters in the church of God, and we're going to pray, God, send in the harvest. God, send in the harvest. I said, how about a greeter at the front door? A, a, a greeter at the front door? Yeah, and how about that, that hand dryer that's been falling off the wall and it's been hanging there for six years? How about just screwing that back on the wall and making it work? Well, we're going to pray. Well, pray. Uh, please pray. But why not that carpet that is all duct tape and is duct tape everywhere? Can you guys replace that? Oh, there's a lot of duct tape on the carpet. Have you been walking over that for like six years and haven't been paying attention? You know, when I walk across your duct tape, the first time I go, oh, you know, they have a problem with their carpet. But when I walk over it for the 400th time on the sixth year, that's just neglect. And if you can't get the duct tape off the carpet and fix that, I'm not sure you're going to care for my soul. If you don't have faith to get the carpet straightened out, wowzers. Hello. Are you guys okay? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to come to your house, and if I see any duct tape on the carpet. Okay. So he said, so if you want better results, you have to improve the system. And, you know, we develop systems, but sometimes we got to change our systems. we got to tweak things all the time because things change. Sometimes we've been on Peppa Pig for a while, but now we're on Paw Patrol. Hopefully we'll graduate to Gilligan's Island or something. I don't know. About All right, systems. We got some systems. Are you ready? And we're next week, you know what we're going to do next week? We're going to drill down on the systems. We're going to talk about the tools and the handles. Actually, I meant to bring our policy and procedure manual out today. But uh, it's huge. And, but, you know, it's, it's intentional. And, you know, we live in an incredibly litigious society. And therefore, because we do, we need policy. We need to do things right. We need to understand the culture we live in. And so we've got to have a lot of stuff. So to do church well and do church right, uh, we really need to manifest that we got our stuff together. So systems, our weekend service system, we actually plan our weekend service. We don't just kind of show up and go, hey, let's just let the Holy Ghost lead. <laughs> Well, guess what? The Holy Ghost was leading the creation of the world. And he did it in seven days, and he did it in perfect order. And it was thoughtful, and it was premeditated. I think he can do that for a church service, too. 
And I think he can give you revelation ahead of time so you don't have to stand here and go like, oh, I did prepare a whole sermon, but the Holy Spirit has said, you wasted your time all week, you bum. I've got a better word for you. Like, I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, you could have spent the week in prayer and really worked out a really good sermon, but you're going to blow that off on the Holy Ghost. Okay. It's okay. We have a plan. We execute the plan, and then we evaluate the plan. And what could we do better? What went good? What went wrong? And so we do that. We actually work a weekend service system. We want to tweak it. We want to do it better. So I'm, I'm bad at that sometimes because I'll just, I mean, the good old days, I used to, we'd be right in the middle of service, just finish the song service. Then I'd look around and go like, Bill, why don't you do communion today? Oh, okay. So like people never knew. I'd be, we'd be right in the middle of service. Gord, could you do offering for us? Oh, okay. Now, it would have been really nice if I let Bill and Gord know that a little ahead of time, but, but the pastor just flew by the seat of his pants. And people had to get used to my system. In fact, I used to lead worship, and you know when the people got the new songs? The new songs were given to them 10 minutes before the service. Just follow me. It goes like this. <laughs> Fortunately, I was an excellent leader and a skilled craftsman on my guitar. Not true. But, but you know, <laughs> these poor people, and I'm thinking, why are we having a hard time with worship people? I mean, what's wrong with these people, you know? It's nerve-wracking. You get thrown a song, and you got to stand up there and sing in front of people, and I haven't seen this song until like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> hey, what's the matter with you? Sing better. Hey, <laughs> It's true. It's absolutely true. But thank God the Holy Ghost was here, and nobody seemed to care. At least I thought that was what was happening. Anyway, so now we, we have a work in, we have an evangelism system. It's encouraged in our values. When we talk about invite, we encourage that. We've got tools for inviting. We've got, we, we tell everybody, you're, you're, you're not, I tell Paul he's not a lawyer. Paul just thinks he's a lawyer. He's not, I like picking on Paul. Paul's not a lawyer. Paul is a minister of God wrapped in a lawyer. God just, you know, put him there and, and he can do the lawyer stuff, but the lawyer stuff isn't really why he's there. He's there to manifest the kingdom of God. And, you know, that for me is evangelism. That for me is empty purple chair chairs all day long where I'm loving it. You know, I'm like, God is reaching the city every day because there's believers out there rubbing elbows with people and the kingdom is getting on people. That's, that's an evangelistic system. But we want to do things. We want to go every service, every single service. Like we had somebody gave their heart to Jesus this week, only been in church two other times before. It was their first time in church, first time they'd ever seen singing and dancing and people excited in church. And she gave her life to Jesus on Sunday. And you know what? It wasn't really a gospel sermon. It really wasn't come to Jesus sermon. But you know what? We're going to, it's a principle, it's a value. We're going to ask people to join the family of God every week. We're going to tell people to accept that you're forgiven, set free, and let the love of God invade your heart. Receive all the goodness. We're going to do it every service because that's a part of our strategy. It's what we do. And so there's, there's things that are a part of on-purpose intentional stuff. We have discipleship teams so that when people do that, we've got a strategy that, oh, that's great, they made a decision. We've got follow-up processes. We've got an evangelistic system. We've got papers that are, are filled out on purpose for when people do that. We've got a system to follow up with them and disciple them. And we got all those systems going on because we want to be very intentional about that.
So we've got assimilation systems after that. Every single guest who walks through those doors, can you believe it? Some people don't know anything about this church or even have a friend who goes here and they just Google church in London and impact church pops up. If you Google church in London, you know what the number one on the list is? Impact church. I don't even know why. I don't even know why. We don't have like 500 people in a room in Bangladesh going, impact church, impact church, impact. I mean, some people do that. They do search things and they have, you know, stuff like that. But I don't even know why. But I go, still number one. <laughs> How many have impact church as your start page as soon as your computer comes up? Just me. Wow. How many people on staff have Impact Church as your start page? That's going to change tomorrow. You do? Okay. You better because you're in the same house as I am. That would help, you know? Just, just put it there. What else you got? Google is your start page? I mean, Google's a bunch of liars. I mean, my God. Anyways. I did. I Googled myself the other day and found myself, so it's good. All right. So... Uh, assimilation. We have a system of assimilation. We have a system for guest services. We have a system when those people, like if somebody makes a decision to come to a church, that's huge. Like generally you're like, we want to invite people. I'm trying, let's go evangelize. They showed up on their own. They walked in on their own. I'm like, yes. They're not a visitor. They're a guest. And we're prepared for guests. We're prepared that they will feel incredibly special. I won't say where they went, but Cheryl and Kelly went to another church on Sunday. Kelly actually stayed after, stayed on purpose after, hung around a long, long time. She hung around forever just waiting for someone to talk to her, and nobody even talked to her. And she, was, she said, I intentionally hung around. I kept walking from room to room. Just, I don't know, but I wanted to tell her that could be the deodorant, but... No, that wasn't it. But that's kind of shocking. But you know what? Everybody here, you are all on guest services. Every one of you. You guys are all on guest services. It's not just the people at the door. If you see somebody and you know that they're new and they've never been here before and they don't have one of those Gucci bags, you got to make sure that they get a Gucci bag. We, we want to make sure that people get talked to and people get appreciated and, and people know that it was, and you know what? That's intentional. Like, if you came to my home for dinner, I mean, and I, you know, didn't even welcome you, greet you, or say anything to you, you know, go sit in the corner, and nobody talked, that'd be weird. That'd be really weird. And if you're going to come to the house of God, and you're going to encounter the children of God, it should be the most awesome experience ever. All right, so we're very intentional about that. People are greeted, directed, treated, seated. We get, get the card! We have cards. We want to get cards because we want to follow up with people. We want to thank them for coming. And uh, we go for souls every service. We do all those things. And everything we do with the assimilation system is intentional. We have small group systems. We train leaders. We look for hosts. We provide materials. We have a system for small groups that we want to work on. We're constantly working on. And uh, we do all of that intentionally as well. We also have uh, our children's youth and youth systems. We want to tweak that. We want to grow that. But, you know, our, our kids' church. I, I've got families, two weeks in a row, I've had people say, I got to come back next week because my children want to come back because your kids' church was so great. 
I'm not kidding. It's just uh, just amazing. And uh, I, I know it's good because, you know, we have visited places in town where you'd think they would have an awesome kids' church, but it's, it's not that great. But not comparing ourselves with other churches or anything because that's not good. But anyways, we should do what we do really well. And I'm really, really blessed. And I really think our, our you guys are great. Like our, our kids' ministry, I pray for you all the time. And I'm so glad that our, our, our kids' church workers, youth workers, stuff like that, it's not babysitting. It's really, it, it's raising a generation of kids. It's ser- seriously ministering to kids. It's not like we better take care of these kids so the parents can enjoy service. And I'm so glad that there's such a large group of people involved in the ministries here. You know, there's so many churches that don't, big churches that can't get volunteers. They don't even understand it. So, but we don't have volunteers here because you're not volunteers. You're all responsible members of the family. Amen. The lights are so bright. I can't even see you. Are you still here? Okay. Okay. Uh, volunteer systems, identifying training, and we've got to do things. We've got to get safe place things done. We've got to do all kinds of things to train people. And we do all that stuff intentionally. We do it all on purpose. Very, very important stuff. All right, we have stewardship systems. We teach on giving. We model giving. We uh, take every opportunity that, to give and be involved in giving. And then we have opportunities to give. You can give on the web. You can give by email. You can put your card in the machine. You can do the old-fashioned way and put cash in the bucket. We got all kinds of ways to do that, and we're very intentional about that. It's all recorded, it's all kept. And you know what? That's all part of the systems. We got volunteers that come on Sunday and they count the money. If the offerings aren't big enough, I tell them, stay there, count it again. And then they tell me it's this much, they count it again. And just keep counting them because we, you know, we've got a, a weekly average that we want to hit. And if they don't get it, I make them stay until next week, whatever it takes. It's not true, but I have said that to them. I said that wasn't good, count it again. Amen. Okay, so we've got uh, stewardship systems, we've got leadership systems, we've got systems here, we've got elders, we have elders, we have deacons, we've got people that are fulfilling significant roles in this church, in our leadership, we've got a system of leadership with elders and deacons, we've got staff who are serving here, and then we've got ministry leaders, we've got people who lead different departments in different areas of ministry, and so we've got all these people that we communicate with, interact with, we train, we work together with, we communicate, we resource, we help, and we support, and all of this stuff has to go on if we're going to do things well as a community. So the big cosmic glory of the Lord all over the earth, all of that is only going to happen if everybody finds their role and and is involved and shares what's going on. Can I get an amen? All right. So I was going to bring out that whole policy and procedure book. It's massive. Honestly, it's about that big, isn't it? It is that big. That big? That big? That big? This big? Okay. Okay. We must become people who develop leaders. I want to develop more leaders. Any leaders here today, you feel you're a leader? You're all leaders. Everybody is. If you, if you influence people where to have lunch tomorrow, you influence them and you're a leader. So there's a, we want to practice leadership development. There's three levels of shared leadership development. There's three types of shared leadership people. There's the dumpers. Say dumper. Dumper. That's where I lead. I just tell you what to do. So I just dump stuff on you. Say do this. You. Hey do this. And so some, that's their leadership style. They're dumpers. When I was young and in my dad's church, uh, sometimes that's what he did with me. He was a dumper. Over there, cut the grass. Yes, dad. <laughs> it was kind of dumper. Anyways, that, that was Sundays I'd be walking out and we'd be ready to go home and my dad would meet and he's shaking people's hands and like, Carl, Carl, by the way, you're preaching tonight. I'm like, dumper. 
It's just right there, just you're teaching. All right, delegators. Delegators, they, they train and they teach. And so delegating, they're training and they're teaching. But then there's developers, developers who model and they coach. And that's important stuff. We really want to be that kind of people. And that's what I aspire to be as somebody who doesn't dump and doesn't just delegate, but we, we develop, we model, and we teach. So development is not a transaction. It's not just a knowledge transfer. It's a shared experience, and then it's coaching. And so it's very, very important that there is, and it's important to connect with, if you're looking to go somewhere, connect yourself with someone who can actually take you there. And if you're looking for a door to open for you, I mean, and you're looking for leadership, then actually connect yourself to somebody who can actually put people in leadership and actually has evidence that that's what they do. And there's people actually in places and positions of leadership, and they actually have the ability and capacity to do that. It's like, imagine going to a machine shop every day and saying, what are you doing here? Well, I want to be a brain surgeon. Well, uh, we don't create brain. You do? I'm just trying to, trying to be a brain surgeon. I came down here. Can you help me be a brain surgeon? They don't do that. You actually would have to go get straight A's in high school, get straight A's in, in, in college. You'd have to get straight A's in medical school, straight A's. Then you'd have to find somebody who's already cutting open brains and say, would you mentor me? And so there's a real clear track for where you want to go. I've seen an awful lot of people saying, I want to go here, but they're hanging out it ain't going to get you anywhere. So uh, people hang out with dumpers and all kinds of other things. And anyways, development's not a transaction. It's not a knowledge transfer. It is a shared experience. And then it's coaching. And uh, so David turned a whole group of people into an army. People came to him and David had the ability. People knew he was anointed to take things to a new level. People in distress, in debt, and discontented. Everyone, they gathered to him and he became the captain over them and they became the army of God. People came to David to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. Then David Killed, killed Goliath, he killed giants, and a whole bunch of people started killing giants. So it wasn't, come and watch me kill giants. No, they received that anointing, that impartation, and then they all became the army of God, giant killers and mighty men of God. So the systems and processes of Solomon's kingdom, it says the Queen of Sheba came, and it says, and when she had seen, when she had seen the way the tables were set, when she had seen the way things were done, when she had seen just the way people walked and did things in his kingdom, they were just like, wow. It says her spirit was just crushed. There was no more fight in her, because she came to fight with Solomon, but when she saw the wisdom of Solomon, she was just amazed. All right. So uh, we're done, except for one more thing. Amen? Give it up for Pastor Cheryl. She didn't hit the clock once. Did you? I didn't see it. Okay. I just gave you one little website. You can go to that website, but uh, uh, it's... And there's many other places as well, but it talks about hindrances to, to growth that people think maybe the hindrance to growth is this, is the songs aren't good enough, the preaching's not good enough, you know, you don't have nice enough fresheners in the bathroom or blah, blah, blah. And this is the number one reason a lot of churches don't grow is their lack of parking. I was like, what? Lack of parking. Now, I don't know about you, but I am that kind of guy that if it's a full lot, I'll keep moving. I just, I go to a restaurant, it's full... Uh, I'll do with drive through McDonald's. I'm just not going to, you know, walk five miles through the snow to get there. And I went, wow, that's crazy stuff. You know, we've, we've actually, we, we broke through some barriers and then we broke through the 400 barrier and we've been kind of bouncing up and down the 400 barrier now for probably a couple of years and just trying to figure out what is the problem. The number two thing is just capacity. It says capacity, your facilities and what you're doing. And you might think, oh, there's lots of empty purple chairs around here. We could do it. But they say, even before, about 70% or so. I don't know about you, but if I don't have room for 
for my coat and my Bible. You know, I want my Bible, my coat, and myself. And if, if I got to sit elbow to elbow with somebody, that'll just annoy me. And really, people just, they don't, they don't like that. They look around. You might think, from here I can see a lot of things, but if people see the aisles filled and they got to squeeze past three people to find a chair, then people say, that place is already full. It feels awkward. So that's why we're selling the building and we're trying to move on and get a bigger facility. We're having problems with our kids' church. We're having problems with the size of the rooms, the way the rooms work. And we get a decent group of kids. We could have over 70 kids some weekends, which is a lot of kids. In, in our building and what we're doing and having to go up those stairs with kids and a lot of things it's just it's a bit not functional for us so we are looking to make those kind of changes and we're just seeing I don't know we want to grow well why do you want to grow pastor what you just want to be the biggest church in town yes why not healthy things grow they really do and so it would be wrong not to analyze, like, what's going on? Why are we stuck? And uh, so we got to figure it out. We got to work on it. So that's why we're working on some of those things. But we want to do all the other stuff. I want to, we're doing this this summer just to share the family business. But next week, we're going to drill down even further on it. And then the last week, literally, we're going we're gonna to want you. And hopefully you're doing, please, I don't know if anybody's done those surveys. How many have not done those surveys and thought they were just optional? How many thought they were optional? You don't have to do it. They're not optional. You should have already emailed me a long time ago what your results were. Because we want to know that. Because, you know, I want to be used in ministry here. Do a couple of surveys. Well, I ain't doing the surveys. <laughs> I want to be used by God, but I can't do a simple survey. Praise Jesus. Everybody smile it. All right, I got to pray and let you go because we got to eat ice cream. Amen? All right, thank you for your patience. Father, we bless you. We just thank you for the amazing privilege of serving your purpose. And we just thank you for all these fine things. And uh, I pray that you would help people really get the revelation, Lord, that we're, we don't dwell together here carelessly. We dwell well together on purpose. And Father, there's, there's ways, divine ways, to demonstrate and manifest your character and your nature. And I just thank you that you do lead us and guide us in all those things. You give us the wisdom, the understanding to help us and, and realize what, what are the things we need to do to be good stewards of the revelation and the purpose that you've given us. So thank you for Wednesday nights. The folks have been just really diligent tracking with us. And, and Father, we just pray that we'll get to release a whole bunch of leaders, a whole bunch of ministries. We just pray out of this, Lord, we're going to see churches planted, lives transformed, nations touched. And our vision is large, Lord. It's going to need a lot of help. So we just thank you, we praise you, and we bless you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' precious name, amen.